listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service. Welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for this day, January 9th, 2023. Support for this reading comes from the Dupaco R.W. Heifer Foundation. I'm Marge and Helen. And here is our first story. Legislative Outlook. Iowa's Republican majority set sights on school vouchers tax rules. In November's election, Republicans expanded their existing majorities by two seats in the Senate and four in the House of Representatives. Iowa Senator Kerry Kelker, a Republican of Dyersville, said the election success encourages further progress in the conservative trajectory that the party has taken in recent years. The voters spoke in November, said Kelker, who again will serve as an assistant majority leader this year. We need to respect that, go down there, and continue to make strides. Democrats continue to hold the seats for all the districts that include Dubuque, Iowa Representative Lindsey James, Democrat of Dubuque, again will serve as the House Minority Whip, her chamber's second-ranked Democrat. She said she would continue to work with Republicans with whom she has built relationships, but hope for more meaningful bipartisanship this session. There are policies and programs that are important to all of us that we know are important to all four constituents, quality education, good wages, access to health, and a home, she said. But ultimately, it is up to Republicans to allow our combinations when acting on these or not. Taxes. Each Republican representing Clayton, Delaware, Dubuque, or Jackson counties who spoke with the Telegraph Herald said a top priority this session would be to change the way that local governments can levy property tax. It's not going to be a fun thing to go out and do, said Kelker, who will serve as vice chair of the Senate Ways and Means Committee. You're messing with counties and schools all those levies and bonds and all those things people vote for. Continued on page 8. Local governments reduce or increase their levy rates on the few tools they have to fund services each year in building their budgets based on need as well as revenues funding services. Kelker will serve again on the Senate Appropriations Committee. She said lawmakers will have to be cautious when crafting the budget this year due to the historic income tax cut that Republicans passed last year. When I look at overall government, I have not heard one person who has said our funding is sufficient, she said, but we have 100,000 extra people on Medicaid. We have inflation and schools wanting more. All those affect our budget, and all of those increases are coming on the back of lower income taxes. The state's Revenue Estimating Committee in December estimated a small amount of revenue growth for the coming fiscal year, which will begin on July 1, but a 1.9% drop in the current fiscal year, which will end on June 30th. The legislature must use those figures or the ones issued at the REC's meeting in March, whichever is lower, when budgeting this year. 
Yocum said the tax cuts will hurt state government services down the line. The REC is estimating 0.1% growth, but only because we had a whole year's worth of funding that came in from the federal government under Presidents Trump and Biden that will go away. She said, with the tax cuts we're phasing in this January by year six, year six, the REC is estimating a 1.9 billion reduction in revenue, but 20% of our about 20% of our entire budget. They'll say, oh, it'll make up for itself in growth, but I have not once seen these Republican tax cuts ever pay for themselves. Uh, Jochum served in the State House since 1993. Kelker acknowledged that the state is likely will need to look for efficiencies which she said meant spending reductions. Do we need that many buildings, that many staff members, for instance, she said. Iowa Senator Chris Corneauer, a Republican of LeClaire, who will represent Maquoketa, will chair the Senate Technology Committee. She said it would look to improve government cybersecurity with federal grants as one way to reduce state spending. We've seen other entities use taxpayer dollars to literally pay off hackers, she said. The legislator annually has appro approved increases in the SSA for public schools, but not as much as Democratic lawmakers say has been needed. Cornier said again, will again chair the Joint Education Appropriations Subcommittee, which prepares each year's proposal for supplemental state aid to schools. Cornier said public education will get a funding bump again, but that it would, but that it would be conservative. We have to be careful when we're introducing tax cuts and then considering increases, she said. They're, they'll continue to get those increases, but that SSA number compounds annually so we need to make sure we don't overpromise. Lawmakers also predicted the legislature would resume its debate about allowing state funds to be used to pay per, for private schools if parents choose to move their child uh, from the public school. Our next article, Delay to Start of Flights by New Carrier for Dubuque. Local airports' new security plan has not yet been submitted to or approved by TSA. The start of flights by a new air carrier from Dubuque is delayed because the airport security plan has not been submitted or approved yet. Dubuque's reg regional airport announced Saturday that it had not received approval from the Transportation Security Administration of its airport security plan in time for Avello Airlines to start flight between Dubuque and Orlando, Florida on Wednesday, January the 11th. Airport Director Tob Delsing told the Telegraph Herald that the plan had not been submitted for consideration to the TSA yet. 
Avello has canceled its first debut to Orlando flight on Wednesday. It will provide people without book tickets. Pardon me. It will provide people who book tickets with refunds, along with funds to put toward buying tickets on another airline and with credits for future Avello flights. Avalo is active, actively exploring alternate, alternative airports where it can temporarily operate its twice-weekly Dubuque flights beginning next Saturday, January 14th, until Dubuque secures its TSA certi certification, states a press release from the Dubuque airport. It states that Avalo will contact customers affected by this airport switch. Daltsing said that although airport staff members have worked to update the security plan since early November, when officials announced that Avalo would fly out of Dubuque, they have not submitted it yet for TSA approval. He added that the airport is continuing to work on the plan but he said he could not provide a timeline for when it might be submitted or approved or when flights from Avalo might begin at the airport. Unfortunately, it took a longer than anticipated time, Dostling said. It's a process that we need to work through and we're working diligently to reach resolution. Dubuque Regional Airport currently operates under a supporting security program under their TSA, which is required for airports that offer flights that can hold 60 or fewer passengers. With the arrival of Avalo, which will operate, which will operate Boeing 737 aircraft, that can hold as many as 189 passengers, Dalsing said the airport now is required to submit and receive approval of a complete security plan. While the approval of the plan will not require any additional security equipment or staff, Dalsing said the complete plan does, does require the drafting of additional security procedures and protocol. This is a more comprehensive program and we have to work through with the process of getting it approved. Avello Airlines Chairman and CEO Andrew Levy expresses his frustration over the developments. This is frustrating news for Avello customers and our team is working closely with Dubuque officials to get this situation resolved as soon as possible. He said, it is unfortunate our initial customers will experience this inconvenience, which is why helping them get to Orlando and making this right for them is our top priority. We are optimistic the airport will secure their necessary TSA certification soon so we can, with the convenient and smooth travel experience from Dubuque, they expect. Local officials celebrated the November announcement that Avalo would come to Dubuque. It will provide the airport with a commercial air, air carrier 
After American Airlines announced in June that it would end service to Dubuque and three other cities due to a pilot shortage, American Airlines' twice-daily flights between Dubuque and Chicago O'Hare airports ended September 7th. Avalo Communications Manager Courtney Goff declined to share specific figures on booking so far for the Dubuque-Orlando flights, but she wrote an email that we are very excited about booking and the number looks great. We had a very full flight going out Wednesday, so we are working to assist all the customers and recommend it, she wrote. We see great promise in our service in Dubuque and are working with all involved as we can to get these flights going. More information about the impacts can be found at avaloaircraft.com dbq-info info. County Mull's costly maintenance of new 911 system. The committee proposes a $170,000 budget for upgrades and repairs. The Dubuque County 911 Public Safety Committee recently proposed a budget including $170,000 for component replacements for the $10 million plus radio system installed a few years ago. The 911 system included the construction of six radio towers and major equipment upgrades for emergency management in the county. The County Board of Supervisors in 2017 approved bonding for $10.3 million for the system. The system replaced one that was deemed to have reached the end of its lifespan and was thought to be a generational investment that would last for decades. At a recent meeting, though, representatives from RACOM, R-A-C-O-M, the communications company contracted by the county to manage the system, proposed a plan to invest steadily in the system for maintenance and upgrades. This would require costly investments by the county each year, but would prolong the system's life, according to RACOM Vice President Terry Brennan. He explained that the equipment contains many component parts that are expected to last different amounts of time rather than being one piece of equipment. As an alternative to replacing entire pieces of equipment every time, a part stops working. Brennan said the county would save money in the long run by replacing individual components. The alternative is you could be throwing away something with 10 years of life left because something in there had a four-year lifespan, he said. Raycom's proposal, which the 911 Public Safety Committee eventually accepted, would cost the county $170,000 in the next fiscal year. Committee Budget Director Denise Dolan said the cost then would increase each year afterward. I have that slated, but with that added to everything else, our ending balance will take a hit, he, she said. Sheriff Joe Kennedy said eventually came around <coughs> to Raycom's proposal. <coughs> when we went to the board and asked for the money to replace the radio system, it was a big expense, he said. But to me it makes sense. 
when speaking to these guys that if we gradually replace the components, we will be better off. Dyersville Police Chief Brent Schroeder questioned why the committee had not heard of the proposed replacement costs years ago. I'm just really surprised none of this came up when we were planning the system, he said. Brennan said the lifespans of different components were not well known when planning the system. Any county funding for the project would have to be approved by the County Board of Supervisors. Supervisor Haley Potoff attended the meeting and afterwards said he was not sure of the proposal's fate. It makes sense replacing parts over time like with anything, he said, but, just, but it's just another big cost, a lot of money. So, I don't know. Here's some news in brief. Dubuque man accused of hitting boy and face repeatedly kicking him. A Dubuque man is accused of repeatedly hitting his six-year-old son in the face and kicking him, then driving drunk from the scene. He later reportedly told police that he was teaching the boy to stand up against bullies. Kemi Betwell, 29 of 627 Arlington Street, was arrested at 3.11 a.m. Saturday at his residence on charges of second offense, offense operating while under the influence, child endangerment with bodily injury and driving while barred. Court documents state that police responded to Betwell's residence at 1 a.m. Saturday. The boy's eight-year-old sister told police that Betwell hit both sides of the six-year-old's face a lot of times with open hands, maybe because the boy was being too loud. The boy's mother reported she was lying down upstairs when she heard commotion downstairs and came down to see Betwell kick the boy, documents say. Police reported that the boy had long scratch marks on his, on his head and face as well as numerous bruises forming on his face and had a bump on the head of his head. He was taken by ambulance to Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center where he told police that Betwell hit him 10 times in the face. Betwell drove away from the residence before police arrived but returned while they still were on the scene. Betwell advised he was teaching the boy how to stand up for himself against bullies and admitted to hitting him with open palms, the document states. Police said Betwell showed signs of being drunk and his blood alcohol content measured 0.126%. The legal driving limit is 0.08%. His driver's license also has been suspended. Local man accused of sex crimes with minor. A Dubuque man is accused of sex crimes with minor. Richard B. Heiderschelt, 52, of 1198 Savannah Drive, was arrested at 6.28 a.m. Saturday at his residence on a warrant charging lavicious acts with a minor and assault with intent to commit sexual abuse. Court documents state that he repeatedly and appropriately touched a girl he knew. The conduct was reported to authorities in October. An arrest warrant for Heiderschelt 
was issued on Thursday. Fire causes 10,000 in damage to home. A fire Saturday caused 10,000 worth of damage to an East Dubuque home, but no injuries were reported. The East Dubuque and Menominee Dunluth departments responded at about 10 a.m. to 764 Baston Road, according to the East Dubuque Fire Department. Smoke was coming from the rear corner of the house upon arrival. A release states that the fire was knocked down in about 20 minutes. East Dubuque Fire Chief Joe Heim said the two homeowners were in the house at the time of the fire, but both were able to exit safely. The cause of the blaze was determined to be an accidental chimney fire that moved to the ceiling area. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Departments reported that Bobby B. Robinson, 33, of Dyersville, was arrested at 5.40 Friday in Dyersville on a warrant charging assault with injury. Christopher E. Allies Jones, Jr., 25, of 614 West 17th Street, was arrested at 1.59 p.m. Friday at his residence on charges <coughs> of domestic assault with injury and obstruction of emergency communications. Dubuque Mentor Helps Young Mothers When Helen Gile first heard about Mary's Inn, a maternity home in Dubuque that opened in 2015, she knew she wanted to be involved. I was working part-time in the mornings, and my youngest child had just gone off to college, she said. I thought maybe I'd find another part-time job to fill my afternoons. Gile of Dubuque applied at Mary's Inn, and while it was no longer looking for paid staff, executive director said co-founder Colleen Pasnick asked if she would be interested in volunteering. She started out helping with administrative tasks, Pasnick said. Then she started doing some babysitting, watching the house when the staff was gone, or giving rides to the girls who needed to get somewhere. Gile is always willing to help, no matter what the job. She'll take a regular shift, but she'll find fill in whenever she they need her, she said. Overnight, short notice, whenever. I don't think she's ever said no to us. Gile slid into the role of mentor in the past few years. She assisted residents not only during their time in the program, but also once they have left. Mary's Inn can house up to four residents at a time. It provides many opportunities to learn, assisting new mothers with life skills, finding housing, applying for benefits, finding employment, or applying, applying to school. The end goal is that graduates of the program will have the life skills and confidence to live on their own and provide for themselves and their children. Both volunteer and paid staff at Mary's Inn recently went through trauma-informed training. The training examined the impact of trauma, how to recognize the symptoms of different kinds of trauma, and how to integrate this learning into staff policy. Helen was part of that group, Pasnick said. We learned how, to, how trauma affects our bodies, our brains, our emotions. 
when she had that extra piece that really helped her in her interactions with the girls. Giles said the majority of the women who are served by Mary's Inn, which is 100% privately funded, have suffered some kind of trauma. That trauma could be poverty, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, incarceration, prostitution, she said. We support women who choose life for their babies, no matter what their background is, and we have a community that opens their checkbooks to help us do that. Jyla enjoys watching young mothers blossom during their time at Mary's Inn. I believe in the sanctity of life and that these moms choose to keep their babies and as an is an amazing thing, she said, watching them become confident women and mothers who believe in themselves is such a gift. Pasnick said Giles' natural compassion for others is just one of the things that make her a valued member of Mary's team. She's non-judgmental, she's a listener, she really understands how a person ticks, Pasnick said. She goes that extra mile. She's always thinking about Mary's Inn. Giles said she hopes to continue her work at Mary's Inn for as long as it, it will have her. But you know, God may have other plans, she said. One of my favorite sayings is, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. Who knows what his plan is? But I just take it and enjoy it as it comes. This is another article, Our View. Local emergency lack of volunteers to respond to calls. Still haven't settled on a New Year's resolution? Instead of that, no carb diet that will wane in a few months. Consider doing something this year that helps your community is drastically needed and is even heroic. Consider becoming a volunteer firefighter. Throughout the tri-state area, volunteer fire department and ambulance services are struggling desperately to recruit enough members to perform their vital services. This comes as the number of calls to which they respond continues to climb for most of these groups. A Telegraph Herald report last spring talked to the 23 tri-state area departments who depend on volunteers. Collectively, they responded to more than 5,000 emergency calls in 2021. Every one of them reported needing volunteers. Altogether, more than 600 firefighters support those area volunteer departments, but they could use about 170 more to all reach full strength. Meanwhile, the region's population is aging and calls are climbing, calls, uh, and calls are climbing. Fewer volunteers and more calls is the recipe for burnout. Much like the Telegraph Herald, the Omaha World Herald presents an annual award to an individual or group recognized for outstanding contribution to the region. And citizens can do their part by considering joining this vital group of volunteers 
The work of volunteer firefighters and emergency workers is critically important for health care access, particularly in our rural communities. On this, the one-year anniversary of the deaths of two Mineral Points Wisconsin firefighters killed in an accident as they rushed to the scene of an emergency, let us take a moment to thank our firefighters and consider what we can do to expand their ranks. Other view. Economy, inflation, border control among top priorities for the second term by Ashley Henson. In November, Iowans rejected the D.C. way and made clear they wanted a check on Biden administration. You have placed your trust in me to be that check and voice during an incredibly important and challenging time for our country. I won't let you down. I've listened to families, farmers, and small businesses in Dubuque and across northeast Iowa. The concerns that Iowans are talking about around their kitchen tables each night are my priorities in Congress. I will hold this administration accountable for its failures, work across the aisle to solve challenges we face, and continue to be a fierce advocate for Dubuque. Inflation and our economy remain top of mind uh, for everyone. My top focus will be to ease the burden of inflation by helping you keep more of your paycheck, restoring fiscal responsibility, and enacting common sense energy policies. I continue working to enhance the child tax credit. I have legislation that will increase this credit up to $4,500 for children five and under and $3,500 for children ages six to 17 for working parents. This will help families cover the cost of raising children and make life more affordable. Additionally, I'm backing, le backing legislation that will make key aspects of the 2017 tax cuts permanent for working families and small businesses. Bottom line, it's your money, not the government's money, and amid this inflation mess, it's even more important you can keep more of what you earn. Advocating for the needs of Iowa farmers and ensuring our rural communities have a seat at the table is also vital, especially with the upcoming Farm Bill. I have begun collecting input on this legislation and am working to ensure that the final product reduces input costs, provides regulatory, regulatory certainty, and includes the needs of our Iowa producers. We've been able to secure key investments in our lock and dam system along the upper Mississippi River, including over <coughs> $45 million for the Navigation Ecosystem Sustainability Program. It's critical that we build on the progress we've made to ensure our farmers have a reliable way to get products to market, boost our tourism economy, and get more business to Dubuque. Expanding opportunity throughout Iowa requires meaningful action to take on China. For decades, China has robbed communities like Dubuque of jobs and growth, and our reliance on them is dangerous. As we look to bring our supply chains out of China, <coughs> I've helped introduce bipartisan legislature that will incentivize domestic manufacturing, particularly in rural communities. Taking decisive action on China 
from reshoring manufacturing to securing fair trade deals for farmers and blocking the Chinese Communist Party's intellectual property and agricultural technology theft is an urgent is urgent for Dubuque and our entire country. Little else matters if families don't feel safe. The most pressing threat to our safety now is coming from our open southern border. Cartels are shipping deadly drugs into our country <clears throat> and, up to, and up to Iowa, even targeting children with rainbow-colored fentanyl. Securing our border and ensuring our law enforcement officers have the resources necessary to protect our communities and our kids from danger and will remain a top priority. As the only Iowan on the House Appropriations Committee, I will safeguard your taxpayer dollars while bringing targeted investments back to Iowa. Through my work on this committee, I've been able to save Dubuque's metropolitan status, bring home disaster relief and flood mitigation resources, and secure over $53 million for local projects. I will continue to use this post to deliver on Iowa's priorities and advocate for Dubuque, whether it's pushing for increased investments in our waterways infrastructure or working to restore daily commercial air service to the Dubuque Regional Airport. I will always fight for your local needs at the highest levels. Iowans decisively rejected one-party rule in Washington and have entrusted us to lead our country back to prosperity during a time of historic challenges and division. As my second term begins, my mission remains the same. Put Iowa first, provide effective and accessible leadership, and make sure Washington works for you, not the other way around. I'm ready to get to work for Dubuque and all of Northeast Iowa. You are listening to the Dubuque Telegraph Herald on IRIS. The Iowa, Radio, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Your reader is Marge. And Helen. If you have any comments on this or any IRIS program, please call 243-6833 or toll free at 877-404-4747. And don't forget... This and many other IRIS programs are available for our web, from our website at iowaradioreading.org. Now we return to the Telegraph Herald and we'll read the obituaries. C. Howard Wallace Reverend Dr. C. Howard Wallace who for nearly 60 years served the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary with energy, compassion, wit, and wisdom, entered into eternal life on December 21, 2022, at Bethany Home in Dubuque, Iowa. He was 98. Clyde Howard Wallace, was born to Adelaide Grover and Charlene Dugan Wallace on January 6, 1924, in Wellington, Kansas, descended from a long line of Presbyterian ministers. His, his parents instilled in him 
the love of Christ, a passion for nature and travel, along with a strong desire to serve others. He grew up during the Dust Bowl years in the South Central Kansas. Howard received his Bachelor of Arts degree from Park College, now Park University, in Parkville, Missouri in 1945. He was an accomplished student leading many campus clubs and activities. Howard met his first wife, Margaret Peggy McHenry, at Park College. Upon graduation, they moved to Chicago, where he attended McCormick Theological Seminary, receiving a Bachelor of, Divine De of Divinity degree. During his years in Chicago, Howard was an interim pastor at Community Presbyterian Church in East Gary, now Lake Station. Indiana from 1948 to 49. In addition to attending classes during that day, those days Howard worked at night supervisor at the YMCA on Wabash Avenue. While at the YMCA he befriended a scientist who had immigrated from Nazi Germany. They became friends while teaching each other their respective languages which ultimately led Howard into the next phase of his life attending the University of Basel in Switzerland. While in Basel, Howard studied under renowned theologian Karl Barth, earning a Doctor of Theology degree. Upon the completion of his studies in Basel in 1951, Howard received a call to become the Presbyterian chaplain at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. As chaplain from 1951 to 59, he encouraged religious literacy and interfaith understanding while providing pastoral support and guidance in times of both crises and celebration. It was during these years at Harvard that the family welcomed four children, David, Susan, Martha, and Mark. In 1959, Howard began what would become his life's legacy, teaching and mentoring seminary students at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa, where he would go on be to become its longest serving professor. While he was a talented scholar, one of Howard's greatest gifts was the ability to connect with and mentor students. This was evident in his vastly popular Bagel Bash, which he organized and held at the end of each academic year. Howard was very engaged within his community, serving as president of the Dubuque Community School Board in the late 1960s, when plans were being set for the construction of Hempstead High School. He spearheaded support for survival of a bond issue to cover the cost of the building by promoting inclusivity and negoti negotiating upon excess for both public and parochial school students to be planned indoor to the planned indoor pool, ushering in the swim teams from Dubuque Senior and Washington schools. He was also active in the Presbyterian Church. 
taking many multiple roles in Westminster Presbyterian Church and serving as the first moderator of John Knox Presbytery. In the early 70s, Howard began a new journey that would provide enduring love for the rest of his life. The courtship began with a coffee date to discuss the purchase of a new Bible and in time led to marrying Nancy Lee Davis Carlson on November 17, 1973. A few years later in March 1977, they welcomed twin boys, Andy and Matt. Howard approved, approached fatherhood with unsurpassed love and compassion. Howard's life and transition in heaven is a wonderful expression in the words he voiced under the dedication ceremony, speaking on the book of Revelation. He who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Howard is survived by his wife, Nancy Lee, and their five children. He was preceded in death by his parents, his son David, and his two brothers. The family will hold a private graveside service at Linwood Cemetery in Dubuque. A celebration of life memorial is being planned for Howard at the University of Dubuque in the spring. Details will be announced at a later date. The family would like to thank the wonderful staff at Bethany Home and Hospice of Dubuque. If you would like to pay tribute to Howard's legacy, the family requests donations be made to the C. Howard Wallace Endowed Award for Excellency in Old Testament Studies at the University of Dubuque. Howard C. Crapful. Hunter C. Hunter C. Crapful, 29, of Dyersville, Iowa, found eternal peace on January 2nd, 2023. Funeral service will be held on Tuesday, January 10th at 6 p.m. at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory um, on Rockdale Road. With military honors accorded by American Legion Post 6 and the United States Iowa National Guard, Friends and family may visit from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Tuesday at the funeral home. Hunter was born on April 2, 1993, son of Gary and Sherry Tegler Kraffel. He married Alyssa Kraffel on October 8, 2011, in Dubuque. He was employed at Midwest Diesel in Dubuque. He lived life with a smile and in the fast lane. He loved driving and seeing the open road, but always kept her on the floor to go home to his family. Hunter was a proud husband and father. He is survived by his wife Alyssa, children Brooklyn, Peyton, and Lincoln, his mother Cheryl, his sister Kendall, and beloved nephew Archie Crittenden. He was reunited in heaven with his father Gary Crapple, son, father-in-law Dan Ernzen, senior maternal grandparents, and Merle and Donna Kraftville, and best friend Jarek Clark. Funeral services. Bernard Jarrett from Lancaster, Wisconsin. Visitation 
11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Tuesday, January 10th at St. Clement's Catholic Church in Lancaster. Christian burial at 1 p.m. Tuesday at the church. Rory J. Cress, East Moline, Illinois. Celebration of Life, 4.30 p.m. Tuesday, January 10th, Geniso Country Club, Geniso, Illinois. James R. Oglesby, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Visitation 1 to 5 today at Rose of Lima Church, Cuba City. Service, 10.30 a.m. Monday, January 9th at the church. Patricia Scheibel, Elizabeth, Illinois. Visitation 9.30 to 11, Saturday, January 21st, First United Methodist Church. Elizabeth Service, 11 a.m. January 21st at the church. Elizabeth Shaw, Manchester, Iowa. Visitation 3 to 7 today at Leonard Mueller Funeral Home in Manchester. Shirley Waterman, Colesburg, Iowa. Visitation 2 to 6 p.m. today. Leonard Mueller uh, Funeral Home, Edgewood, Iowa. Service 10.30 a.m. Monday, January 9th, St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Colesburg. Randy R. Weimerskisch, Clinton, Iowa. Visitation 3 to 7 p.m. Monday, January 9th, Carlson Celebration of Life Center, Maquoketa, Iowa. Celebration of Life, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, January 10th at the center. Elaine T. Bramelkamp. Elaine Teresa Kuhl Bramelkamp, 95, of Rochester, Minnesota, formerly of Dubuque, Iowa, passed away on Thursday, January 5th, 2023, in Rochester, Minnesota. Elaine was born on November 29, 1927, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of Oswell B. and Emily Welp Cool. She was a great graduate of Visitation Academy High School in Clark College in Dubuque, Iowa, where she earned a Bachelor of Science degree with majors in biology and chemistry. She then studied at the American Society for Clinical Pathology in Kansas City, which certified her to work as a medical technologist. She married Henry J. Hank Bromelkamp on May 10, 1952, and they raised a family of nine boys. All nine of their sons attended Lourdes High School in Rochester, Minnesota. Elaine's Catholic faith was important to her and influenced how she lived her life. She was very active as a volunteer at Co-Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church at St. Mary's Hospital Women's Sec uh, at St. Mary's Hospital Women's Auxiliary and St. Raphael's Rochester Syrup Club. Teams of Our Lady, Guest House and the Lourdes High School Foundation. She was also a Cub Scout and leader. If having nine sons was not enough in an adventure, Elaine loved to travel. She made trips to Ireland, Germany, Italy, Spain, and Portugal, Israel, and France, and many others. She was an avid Minnesota Twins fan and watched most of the games. Surviving her are her nine boys. She's preceded in death by her husband, Hank. The family would like to thank the staff at Madonna Towers for the care they provided to Elaine 
in the last several years and to the doctors and nurses at St. Mary Hospital and Moments Hospice of Rochester. Linda Keneally. Linda Keneally, 78, of Bernard, Iowa, passed away peacefully at home on Friday, January 6, 2023. Massive Christian burial will be at 11 a.m. Monday, January 9th at St. Patrick's Church in Gary Owen with St. Mark, with Father Mark Osterhaus officiating. Burial will follow in the church cemetery. <clears throat> Visitation will be from 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. Monday at the church. Linda was born on April 15, 1944 in Haines, North Dakota, daughter of Joe and Lois Warbis and moved to the Dubuque area in 1960. She was united in marriage to Robert Keneally in August 1962. Linda was also a registered nurse and worked at a noble manor for 23, for 20 years, 10 of which she also served as their director of nursing. <clears throat> Linda was known for her spicy personality. She loved being involved with her family and community and never passed up a good hug. Linda is survived by her husband, Robert Keneally, and children. She was preceded in death by her parents, her brother Jack, Glenn, Bob, and Ron. Patricia A. Bullock. Patricia A. Bullock, 86, of Dubuque, died on Thursday, January 5th. A private family burial will be held in a later date. Mike L. Carmichael, Jr. Mike L. Carmichael, Jr., 65, of Delhi, died on Wednesday, January 4th. A celebration of life will be held at a later date. James Marie Gross, Sister James Marie Gross, PBVM 97, died on Thursday, January 5th at the Sisters of the Presentation, Mount Loretto on Carter Road. On Tuesday, January 10th, friends may call from 9.30 to 11 at the Sacred Heart Chapel, Sisters of the Presentation, where there will be a wake service at 9.30 a.m. and funeral service at 11 a.m. Burial will follow in the Mount Olivet Cemetery, Key West. Visitors are asked to wear a mask if they have symptoms or refrain from coming. Sister James Marie, daughter of James and Jacob and Mary Dinan, was born. Uh, Mary Evelyn Gross on April 13, 1925, in Rockville, Minnesota. She entered the Sisters of the Presentation from St. Cloud, Minnesota on September 8, 1949 and professed perpetual vows on June 19, 1955. She entered Associates of Arts from St. Cloud Teachers College in St. Cloud, Minnesota, a Bachelor of Arts in Clark College, now University, uh, Clark University in Dubuque, Iowa, and Master of Arts from the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. Sister James Marie served as an elementary teacher and principal in Catholic schools in Waukon and Dubuque, Iowa, and as a mathematics professor at Clark College for 34 years. She <coughs> retired to Mount Loretto in 1999 
and celebrated her 60th jubilee in 2009. In retirement, Sister James Marie tutored in English at the Presentation Lantern Center, coordinated mission materials, and tutored math. She enjoyed, uh, enjoyed knitting, crocheting, sewing, quilting, cultivating roses, singing, baking, and reading. Surviving are her nieces and nephews and the sisters of presentation with whom she shared her life for 73 years. She is preceded in death by her parents, her sister Eleanor Donovan, and her brothers John, James, and Louis, and Daniel. Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory is in care of arrangements. Memorials may be made to the Sisters of the Presentation uh, on 2360 Carter Road in Dubuque for online at www.dbqpbvms.org. Harvey R. Ide. Harvey R. Ide, 84, of East Moline, passed away Wednesday, January 4th, at Genesis Medical Center. Illinois campus. Cremation rites will be accorded and in lieu of flowers, memorials may be made to the American Heart Association. Esther Dahl Mortuary. Moline, Moline is assisting the family. Harvey was born on September 25th, 1938 in Southbridge, Massachusetts and the son of Harry and Henrietta Blair Ide. He was a U.S. veteran, having served as a mechanical and traveling, and traveling across the world in the Air Force. Harvey earned his bachelor's degree from Indiana Tech in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he married Linda Vogel on September 28, 1990, in Rock Island. He was employed as a mechanical engineer at the Rock Island Arsenal for 25 years. Harvey enjoyed working on antique cars and watching horse racing. He adored his dog, Shadow. Above all, he loved being with his grandchildren, attending their sporting events and teaching them math and how to play Texas Hold'em. He enjoyed his life with his wife, Linda, and, and all of their restaurant adventures. Survivors include his wife, Linda, his daughter, Jane, and grandchildren. He was preceded in death by his parents. Memorials may be shared online at visitingestradoll.com. William A. Frederick, William A. Frederick, Tub Frederick, 96 of Dubuque, passed away peacefully Wednesday, December 28th, at home. Funeral services will be held at 10.30 on Friday, February 3rd, at Church of the Resurrection. Interment will be at Mount Carmel Cemetery. Friends may call from 9 a.m. to 10.30 Friday at the church. Richard R. Loeb's. Richard R. Loeb's 93 of Lancaster died on Wednesday, December 21st. Visitation will be held from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. <clears throat> Saturday and January 14th 
at Martin Schwartz Funeral Home and Crematory with services to follow. Burial will be in Hillside Cemetery in Lancaster. Elmer Albrice of Monroe died on Friday, January 6, 2023. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 with a 3.30 prayer on Tuesday, January 10th at Leonard Graw Funeral Home and Cremation Service, Monona, and from 10 to 11 a.m. Wednesday, January 11th at St. Patrick Church, where services will follow. Leonard Graw Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Monona, Iowa, is assisting the family. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for this date, January 9th, 2023. I'm your reader, Marge. And Helen. And support for this reading comes from the Dupaco R.W. Heffer Foundation. The Telegraph Herald can be heard each weekday at 2 p.m. All programs heard on IRIS are intended solely for the blind and blind and print handicapped. If you have any questions or comments on this or any IRIS program, please call our office toll-free at 877-404-4747. And thanks for listening.